Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is Fucking Killing Me. I'm Corinne. I'm Rainy. And I'm Laura. Hi. Yay. Hello. Everybody, our friend Laura is here today to talk to us about an organization she works with called Showing Up for Racial Justice. Yeah. And if you haven't gone back and listened to past episodes, you'll know that uh, Laura is actually in season one. So if you haven't checked out that episode yet, go back and check it out. Laura. Yeah, thank you. So I want to talk about showing up for Racial Justice Toronto and the work we're doing right now on defunding the Toronto Police Services by 50% in 2021 and redirecting funds to community supports and services. This is a solidarity movement with uh, Black Lives Matter demands to defund the police. So we are a mostly white organization, like moving white people into anti-racist organizing. Uh, for that reason, we have a lot of white leadership, but a lot of multiracial movement partners. So showing up for racial justice started in uh, the States, right around the Trump era starting and has grown into Canada. Toronto's the only Canadian chapter right now. So if you want to know more about Surge, you can go to surgetoronto.com and learn about um, the values and some of the work we're up to. It's a lot of fundraising for mutual aid organizations, like participating in direct actions and calling politicians. So the Defund the Police campaign is very much about calling politicians, and we're focused on the February 18th budget of the City of Toronto. So when Which is this, this Thursday, right, Laura? Yes, 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 this Thursday. And today when this podcast comes out on the 16th is the final phone zap. So if you want to get involved right away, you're welcome to join that zap. It's um, at noon, but there will also be scripts to call your counselors after. And a phone and email zap is like a mutual direct action over Zoom, where we all get on the phone and call all the city counselors, um, the executive committee, the budget committee, and make our voice heard as residents of Toronto. And there's also in time for this episode launch a webinar on the 17th about what defund the police really means and the Ontario Federation of Labor is hosting that with a coalition of black trade unionists. Cool. Can I ask you how you got involved, Laura? Yeah, I got involved through friends in the arts community, actually. So mostly during the pandemic, like when life slowed down and we had an yeah. opportunity to reevaluate um, the values that were for me in my life. And so Surge was a great way to get connected with anti-racist action and um, especially like to locate myself as a white person. It's a place where you can go through that beginning learning stages um, with the support of other people of similar experience and then move on to multiracial organizing. Cool. And you have a couple of um, resources to share with us, right, Laura? Yeah, so I, I want to plug Surge's defund page. So surgetoronto.com slash defund is where you can sign our open letter. And there's also a lot of resources for talking points. So if you've heard about defund the police and not sure how to connect it to your life or how to talk to your loved ones about it, there's a lot of resources there for those conversations. And then there's defund.ca as well as defundthepolice.org, which are Black-led um, organizations or websites with a lot of resources, sort of spreading the resources across Canada. So you can click on your city, Edmonton, Calgary, and get involved in um, initiatives there. Cool. If someone is like confused by what a phone zap means, like what, what is that? Oh, yeah. That's that a- is 
where everyone gets a little bit of training about calling politicians. So usually it's one hour. We try to do it over lunch hour. And the first 20 minutes is locating the movement and introducing people to how to get involved in local politics. Sometimes it's wider than that. Like we've done them for um, decriminalizing land offenders, um, for encampment support. So there's a bit of an intro, then there's about 40 minutes where there's email scripts and phone scripts. So depending on your comfort level, you either send an email with a little bit of a personalization mm-hmm. or you can pick up the phone and talk to someone or leave a message. Mm-hmm. And then after 40 minutes, we just reconvene, talk to each other about the experience and then go on with our days. Cool. Do you have any questions, Rainy? No, that's it. I okay. think that's, I go do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I also, I know that like, especially right now when we, most of us have time on our hands and we're constantly being bombarded by news and politics, it can feel very overwhelming to become involved, especially on, it feels like you don't have any power, mm-hmm. um, but we do have power, especially in local politics. Yes. Like they need us. So this is like the best way to instigate change is to call your local representatives, to send emails to really make your voice heard. Yes, and we organize within this campaign on a ward level. Mm. So Toronto used to have 47 wards, I think, and now it's 25. So get to know which ward you're in, and then you can plug into even on a more local level uh, with people in your neighborhood. Yeah, Yeah. and there's also elections that happen in your ward all the time. 2022 is the next election cycle. So whatever happens with this vote, we're still watching and figuring out which candidates are good to rally around next time and which might need to get out if they're not making change that we want to see. Absolutely. Thanks, Laura. Awesome. Thanks Thanks for having me. We're so glad we can make this work. Yay. Thank you. All right. And now um, we actually do have a guest, another guest today. It's Katya Engel, and she is a visual artist. Here we go. My name is Katya Engel, and I am an interdisciplinary artist um, and dementia care professional uh, living and working in Toronto. Part of my, uh, part of my current role is I'll be conducting interviews uh, over video chat for research. Oh, and so yeah. I have had the same thing where I can tell myself, I'm like, I swear, I'm like looking and you're so self-conscious because you can actually see yourself doing it. Right. Um, right. Yeah, so I understand. I, I've been is there. This- is it part of your work with um, like dementia patients? Um, so my work has evolved a lot since I first spoke with you guys about being and spoke to Devin about being on um, this podcast. Uh, do you want me to dive in already? Yeah, yeah. go for it. Okay. Uh, so my work with people with dementia actually closed because of the pandemic, uh, like permanently. Oh no. Um, so it was, um, yeah, so I mean, at first it was just, uh, we're closing for now, because like all of us, we didn't know how long it was going to last. Um, and then eventually it just became totally unsustainable uh, to keep it running, because uh, basically we were just paying rent for right. the space. Yeah. And um, that's my understanding of it anyway. And um, yeah, so it closed permanently. Um, however, um, a group of people like my team uh, have started a virtual version of it, which is really interesting. I haven't actually been able to engage with it because I got a different job in the meantime, oh. um, which is also in the dementia care field, but more in research. Uh, so I'm working on a dementia isolation toolkit 
through University Health Network. And we are developing resources to help long-term care homes when they have to isolate people with dementia um, who uh, have to be isolated because of COVID. Wow. So how are those, <laughs> what are, what kind of tools are you guys making? Like what, how, how? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, I can speak to it a little bit. Um, I'm definitely not the expert on it. Um, That's okay. My boss would be, but I, um, they've created this uh, series of documents basically and care plan tools to uh, really help people focus on person-centered care during the pandemic because person-centered care is already really difficult to actually apply in long-term care because of budgets, time restraints, staffing restraints, etc. Yeah. Yeah. I could go down a rabbit hole and talk about all of the barriers um, in long-term care. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously those have just gotten harder to navigate and worse during the pandemic. Um, so it's basically like worksheets and different tools to help you just um, think through the decision-making around having to isolate someone if you have to take more extreme measures, um, it's, there's some ethical thinking um, that we try to support people through to you know, make those decisions while still balancing the needs of the resident, um, but also the infection control stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So the art piece of my work with dementia has really um, disappeared a bit for me, mm. um, which I would like to revisit someday post-pandemic, but right now I'm not actually active in that role. Yeah. What was, cause your, like your work was like your visual work that you were, you're, a, you're like a visual artist, mm -hmm. um, was like really focused around like dementia research and visual art, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I mean, I can take it all the way back to how I first got into working. Yeah, I was just going to, it's like a very interesting, um, it's very interesting to like, it's always interesting to me when somebody like combines like their art or their work with, with mm -hmm. like another um, topic, especially when it's in like the health and wellness or like research field. Yeah. So I'm just like interested about why the relationship between like visual art and dementia like came to you. Right. So uh, basically when I was still at OCAD, uh, I was doing my undergrad in illustration I uh, had a private client who I would go to her house and paint for an hour every week uh, with her. And I just got connected through her with family, um, through family members. And it was so much like the best part of my week. Um, and it, we became quite, quite close in some ways. And when I, I went for a semester abroad, and when I came back, she had started going to this day program. Mm -hmm. um, but I like asterisks on the word day program. I'll come back to that later, okay. perhaps. <laughs> um, but it's the best way to uh, kind of summarize it. Um, but so I, I happened to be really close to my house. So I started volunteering. I just kind of followed her there. <laughs> uh, and then I just loved it so much that when I finished school, I was like, can I work here instead of volunteering? Mm -hmm. um, and I worked there for six years. Wow. Um, and I just, I fell in love with the work so, so much. Um, it was a really innovative space where they actually take it, I mentioned person-centered care earlier, they take it a step beyond that into relational caring, uh, which actually kind of takes the focus away from the individual as like this kind of island and looks at it as like the individual is a web of connections as well. Mm. Um, and for dementia, this makes a huge difference because people are often treated as like these islands that have kind of, you know, you've turned inward, you can't communicate as well to the rest of the world. Uh, so it was really uh, a really cool philosophy. 
and we saw people really thrive in it all the time. Uh, and we focus on arts-based programming and learning mm -hmm. um, as, as a vehicle for these relationships. Right. Um, so yeah, I just, I loved it so much. It spoke to both my creative side and my social side, which I have learned in my career are kind of equal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I'm not a very good freelance artist because I just go a little stir crazy. I need social engagement. Mm -hmm. um, so it really spoke to me in that level. And I went back to school um, to study more about it. And even there, I also did research and art, which was really cool. I found a supervisor who was super supportive of me doing an arts-based methodology for my research. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I guess that kind of summarizes it for now. Yeah, when you, sorry, Corinne. I just have one question about um, like the level of dementia in the programs that, that mm -hmm. you work within. Yeah, that's a really great question. So definitely we had mild to moderate for the most part, mm -hmm. but we didn't, um, so we called ourselves an academy Okay. Uh, to kind of emphasize like, you know, it's not daycare. <laughs> These yes. are real adults. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, just because they have dementia doesn't mean they don't have capacity to learn and to in enjoy the learning. So uh, we really structured things as um, a learning space. Okay. And so we didn't graduate people. So if people were advancing in their dementia, which most, most people do, right. um, we didn't ask them to leave unless it became like wildly disruptive or unsafe or um, uh, just actually not what's best for them. Right. Uh, so some people would come in with their own uh, care worker or family member as that kind of one-on-one -on -one support um, and other people would come independently. So we did have a wide range, but I would say it was probably most suitable or like uh, you'd get more engagement out of some of the more mild levels of dementia. Right. Uh, but you also don't want to underestimate somebody like someone yeah. with really advanced dementia can still engage perfectly. Totally. Yeah. So, when you say it was like the really like when you were working with them with the art, it was like really successful. Can you provide any examples about like what would be a successful interaction with the art compared to like mm -hmm. what would be something that wouldn't wouldn't work as well? Um, I think. I think really focusing anything that focuses on the process more yeah. than the final outcome. Um, my goal wasn't really to do art therapy ever. It wasn't yeah. about, you know, I'm going to assess this and like, this is something we need to work on for you. Um, what are the outcomes of the art making in that sense? Um, and it also wasn't like, hey, let's make something really good. <laughs> of course, uh, yeah. It was um, like, an, I guess an example would be um, I would do like kind of a PowerPoint presentation conversation lesson I guess mm -hmm. um, about a certain topic and then we would do an art project inspired by that topic so for example mm -hmm. Frida Kahlo cool. tell her story engage with people about her story um, show her work ask people what they think about her work do they like it do they not like it na 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 um, which was super interesting conversations yeah. well, especially with Frida Kahlo um, <laughs> <laughs> um, especially with her um, as a topic. But um, then I would say, okay, let's do some self-portraits mm -hmm. and pick three things because her, her portraiture was so, um, or is, I guess, so um, symbolic. Mm -hmm. And there's always very clear and obvious kind of symbols. So I'd say, I'd challenge people a bit, like pick three symbols that represent something about you and try to include it in your self-portrait. Mm -hmm. And 
maybe I'd give like a template for like a head and shoulders to get people started. Yeah. Uh, I would go around the room, you know, help people make their lists, help people think through like, how do I turn this into a symbol? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then depending on the person, you know, you get to know them and what their comfort level is or isn't and um, help them the way that they need the help. Um, and leave them alone as much as they need to mm -hmm. and uh, sometimes I would do people would be my art director and I'd be the one actually doing the art but they would be giving me the information tell me what oh. color to pick and other times people were fabulous artists and just did it all on their own wow That's so, so cool. it's a whole a whole spectrum of experiences yeah. and I think the best the best way to summarize what's successful for me would be focusing on the process, mm -hmm. focusing on the fun of it and the learning um, and the getting to know people. Yeah. In the process. Why do you think there is this like, seems to be like, cause we've actually talked to a couple art or one art therapist yeah. and there does seem to be this like symbiotic relationship that happens within art and um, people that are either like um, seem to have, what would you call dementia? Like a, what would you call it just um, maybe memory loss or cognitive impairment um, with cognitive impairment or yeah. like other um types of that's what I'm just more looking for that word because I don't want to call it like uh what, what, what's it classified as do you know um that's a really good question <laughs> I, I don't want to be like I don't want to be like I was gonna be like ailment but like that sounds like um, which is like not could, something I want to say classify it as a disability as a disability um, you okay could, you could yeah some people do okay. Um, there's actually a large debate around oh, uh, really? what to classify dementia a bit, but that's a whole other rabbit hole for another day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of want to ask that now. <laughs> um, but there does seem to be like a symbiotic relationship between like art and like um, disability, I guess we'll mm -hmm. call it for now, but we'll go into that later. <laughs> um, and why do you think that um, using like visual art or different types of art like dance are really mm -hmm. successful techniques for people that are, that are that have these types of disabilities? Um, so many different reasons. Uh, one of the big ones is that it's an opportunity for um, like an, an embodied experience mm -hmm. yeah. as opposed to focusing on the cognitive. So art making, even visual art, even if you're thinking through things, um, there is a very embodied element of it, of just putting like pencil to paper right. um, or paint to canvas, whatever. Um, or if you're collaging, like touching the paper. Mm -hmm. um, and so and you know dance music like those are such embodied experiences and i think it just um helps us refocus on uh sort of shifting what we value so valuing right. we really value like cognitive excellence right in our society um like being on top of things remembering things like memory is really valued <laughs> someone who has a good memory um and so obviously with something like dementia there is a lot of stigma and a lot of kind of uh, focus on just what you've lost instead of what you still have. And I think something like art or dance or music, uh, drama, all of these kind of creative modalities kind of bring you out of that um, headspace, kind of right. a little bit intended. Um, another thing that I think is really helpful is actually um, with cognition in mind, um, it helps you think differently. So with mm -hmm. visual arts, especially turning something that's in your head into something visual on a piece of paper is like a whole new thinking process. Mm -hmm. And it just helps you think 
think differently. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, just like naturally uh, through the process of turning something visual. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, music would be a different one. I would actually say music is the best. <laughs> really? Context. Yeah, if I had good music playing in my sessions, that made a huge difference. Yeah. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Is um, I guess I don't want to say like get better, but it, do you notice um, the people in those kind of programs react differently or um, show their dementia differently in situations like that? Or do you kind of understand what I'm trying to ask? Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, I think from my framework or like my philosophy, mm -hmm. I don't love to look at things that way, but right. also yes. Okay. <laughs> Um, objectively, yes. Um, I think that a lot of what we see in terms of dementia symptoms are actually social symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, so withdrawal, um, it's actually because you're treating this person like they're just sick and useless. Right. Um, and if any of us was treated as sick or useless, you might withdraw and become like show quote unquote behaviors. Um, mm -hmm. So I think enabling people to do what they still can do and focusing on things like that um, and just getting to know somebody like acknowledging their ability to get to know you right. in spite of their dementia as well and to engage with you in a relationship um, and not treating them like a sick person basically mm -hmm. <laughs> um, just that alone makes a huge difference in what we kind of classify as dementia symptoms mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's like a reframing of that question in a way of mm -hmm. looking at it as what's actually causing what we assume is just the dementia. Right. And is it actually more of a cultural and societal relational issue? Mm -hmm. So after this, this is the place that closed, right? Yes. How are you, are you still offering things to patients virtually? Is that an option? So that's what my team has started doing. Right. Um, which is so exciting <laughs> because mm -hmm. also people outside of Toronto can access it. Totally. Called the Bitov method. I'll put in a little plug there. Um, <laughs> and my team is just like the most spectacular team of human beings I've ever met in my life. Um, I mean, I don't even work with them right now, but they're still my team. <laughs> Language. Um, yeah, it's just uh, I don't. I I can't really speak to how it's going virtually. I'm sure okay. it's a challenge uh, with getting everybody up to speed on the te technology. I mean, it's a challenge for everybody, um, yes. but traditionally for older adults, it's hard to, um, some technology barriers exist. Totally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're trying it and some people have said it's gone really well. That's so mm. nice. Seems to be going well. I hope my job eventually will quiet down a little bit and I'll be able to take, I have flexible hours, so I might be able to do a session now and then. Nice. But for now, I'm like really avoiding burnout. I'm like already on the brink of it. <laughs> so I'm like, I really want to take it on, but I just can't right now. Wow. Isn't it so crazy how I was thinking about this the other day, what we were doing before pandemic and what our level of burnout was and now mm -hmm. what it is. And now what it is. Mm -hmm. now, if I like do two things a week, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> did, did either of you um, lose any jobs? I know this is a bit of a touchy question, but oh, yeah, did you right. lose employment um, with the pandemic? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I had, I think I was fired from two jobs yeah. and had like three contracts pulled for me in 72 hours Oof. for 2020. Oh. Yeah. Oh boy. I was yeah. Only, yeah. It was like the contracts for the summer were like 
gone like that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, and then even just like the second wave of lockdowns, I feel like I like survived. I was able to survive a little mm-hmm. bit, even though I had contracts pulled because I was still maintaining some level of working. But then on the second lockdown, that's when everything kind of like fell out mm-hmm. from yeah. the bottom because you can really only adjust and adapt and pivot so much before it can t- yep. constantly dwindles down to like there's like one class instead of eight or like yeah you know there's only like realistically right now there's probably only like two performance opportunities in the entire city and like <laughs> nobody even knows what those are you know like it's right. just, yeah it's like a really weird yeah weird thing it's like so. a limbo yeah, yeah. I don't I do like well I, in limbos <laughs> no 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 but it's smart that you I mean like for you to recognize that your burnout is is like happening it's like imminent. I feel like well exactly because like I wouldn't it's coming as, for me <laughs> um because like if I look back like in the past I feel like I would never know my burnout was coming mm-hmm. until I was like in it and I was too far in it to back out yeah well I mean I can tell you what <laughs> what my process was here um so I got this part-time job and it was like steady and stable enough that I was like I can get a dog (laughs) and then I got a puppy new puppy like baby uh no but he's a rescue so there there are uh, things around that uh he's about a year old so he's still like very puppy yeah um and then my work jumped to full time suddenly right after (laughs) Uh, so I definitely um suddenly had no time to make art the same way I what I had before, which mm-hmm. um, like even just personally, but I also still had tons of commissions that I needed to finish from before I like landed this role and this dog, <laughs> so, this dog mom role. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and like actually, that's probably the biggest source of my stress. I love him to pieces, and I wanted a dog for so long, but I've realized that I'm not somebody who experiences adrenaline rushes very often. And it's like the come down from the adrenaline rushes of like him barking at somebody mm. or like something like that, that I'm not handling well. Oh, <laughs> just like the stress of it. Yeah. Like I feel it like physically, um, all anxiety you do to some degree, but like I was getting like tingly fingers. Um, and I also learned I'm a people pleaser. So I hate it when he barks at people. Yeah. So it's caused a lot of self-reflection and, um, <laughs> I was like a big old grump like I was just so 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 grumpy and then I was like okay I think I'm burning out wow because that's like your first sign is when you start to get like temper or like mood yeah because it just doesn't happen like I get sad or I get like irritable but I feel like I'm a pretty composed person and I I feel like I I stay pretty calm and pleasant most of the time Mm -hmm. um and so for me to realize like, oh, I'm being a bit of a bitch. I was like, oh, oh okay, something's wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, and also I don't see anybody other than my partner. So all the bitchiness was going to one person. <laughs> so I was like, this isn't good. It's also hard sometimes. Like I feel like within the quarantine pandemic, it's like you go through phases of being in quarantine with your partner. And it's like, I'm gonna kill you. 
ah, this is so lovely. Ah! <laughs> yeah. Well, it's I, so. I like, wanted to kill Lucas last week. I was like, oh, the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys live together before the pandemic as well? Yeah, we lived together. I mean, we've been together for six, almost seven years. So we've been we lived together for a while. But yeah. it, it is interesting how you like noticed your phases that happen when you're just like constantly around that person the whole time. You know. Well, I was working weekends before the pandemic, and so I actually did not see my partner except for evenings and mornings um, mm. beforehand. And so suddenly when everything closed down, we were both at home. Mm-hmm. Um, it was 24-7 all of a sudden. And mm-hmm. it was actually such a treat at first. It was like vacation. It was yeah. like, I was like, this is what I've been wanting for so long. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I've, I'm trying very hard to always hold on to that feeling because um, it is it is very nice in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely a little bit of, I'm learning that I actually do need some alone time. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was just social, social, social extrovert. And now I'm like, I need a nap all alone in my room. Like no, nobody else, <laughs> nothing. Right. <laughs> is he like that too? Is he, is, does he need alone time too? Or is he just like, oh yes. Yes. He needs alone time. Oh. He is much more introverted than me. Um, I feel like that's the opposite for me. (laughs) Well, Lucas is just like really like would be around people all the time. He gets lonely, Mm. he says. Whereas like I also am like you, I feel like I need some alone time. So sometimes it's like, it's nice that he's working during the day and he's um, essential. So he's like at the the workplace. So like I don't have to see him during the day because otherwise I would be like, "Ah, get away from me. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. How about you, Corinne? Um... I have a roommate. A roommate. I don't live with a partner. Um, she's a nurse. Oh, okay. So she is, when she's working, she's out of the house quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's also in school. So she's like busy, busy, oh, okay. busy. Yeah. So yeah. do you find that you need your alone time or do you get your alone time? Um, I get my alone time when, she, you know, because she's gone quite a bit. And she's actually really lovely to live with because she's mm-hmm. very respectful of space and time and stuff like that. Yeah. So when we do hang out, it's like very lovely. And we like make time to hang out with each other. Like, hey, do you want to watch a movie? Do you want to do something? Rather than just be like, we're both in the same space. Yeah. It's not just coexisting. You actually have some, it doesn't sound very nice, but it's structured social time. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Structured social time yeah <laughs> um Katya in your little thing you sent us I just want to read a quote from it and I just like would like yeah. you to just like touch on it a little bit if that's Absolutely. okay um it's the pandemic has of course exam exact oh my gosh exacerbated, exacerbated. <laughs> yeah. I hate that word you have but I also where you just like, wait what is that word you have to like go into your brain and like find the dictionary sorry yeah. <laughs> this feeling of loneliness and disconnection but also has introduced a lack of novelty there's no mm-hmm. opportunity for much newness or organic learning to help spark inspiration and motivation to create can you just elaborate on that a little bit the word novelty kind of like rung in my ear when I read mm-hmm. that and I just wanted to make sure I like can you just expand on that a bit um, yeah, so for me, I guess I, I'm the kind of person where um, I love my every day to be a little bit different. So that's why working with people with dementia and making art with them is so fantastic because <laughs> um, uh, every day is a different adventure. Um, and I was also working retail in an arts-based store in Toronto uh, that sold like artisan goods. And so that too was always a little something new, like artists were bringing Mm -hmm. in new work all the time that I could look at and I would talk to new people every day 
Um, and so I get a lot from that kind of the novelty of that. So the, you know, a stranger comes into the store and tells me a crazy story. Um, and that's like not something I could ever expect or go out of my way to get. But you have these little experiences that are of, of newness, of something unexpected and delightful. And like, um, it's stimulating. It's mm-hmm. stimulating for your brain, uh, for your social side, for your think like for me, my visual side a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I feel like I miss that. Like, I also don't have a car. Um, I have like uh, exercise induced asthma, so I can't bike places. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I am too terrified of the TTC during the pandemic. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> I'm basically only going where I can walk in my area. And I find that has forced me to really enjoy some of the newness just within my little circle. Um, but for example, when it when the numbers were a little bit lower, um, I went with my mom to dog sit at my aunt's house up in the countryside. And just driving on the highway was like, ah, <laughs> because there's like new things for me to see that I hadn't seen in months. Um, you know, the clouds were doing something different in the sky. The, the light was hitting differently. The fields were at a specific phase of like the season and mm-hmm. um, the colors were unique. And, you know, just things like that, that I'm just not accessing as much as I would like to uh, mm. because of the pandemic. And there's, there's just no real way around it. Um, do you find that, that it's affecting how you create your, like mm-hmm. you commissions a lot. So do you find that you're, it's affecting like your inspiration for creating new works? Yeah, so I would say for my personal art, absolutely. Uh, the commissions were kind of fun because actually that did introduce some novelty because people would send me their pictures and mm-hmm. I would have to work and puzzle through what they provided me with. Okay. Um, but um, in terms of just like being inspired to make my own art, I was like, I just don't care about anything right now. Like, I just want to sleep. <laughs> I, I feel very much true. in the same boat. I didn't realize how much... Like I always knew that I enjoyed collaborating and working with other people, but I didn't realize how much I got from others until the first lockdown. It's like, I don't feel like doing anything. And I had to really be okay with that. And then think about how to be creative in different ways or how to like Mm -hmm. exert some sort of energy in a way that wasn't so tied to the creative side, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think we have to also, like you said, kind of accept it. I'm not saying I have, but trying to accept (laughs) the fact that I'm just not going to be at my peak right now because I'm not getting all of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then finding, finding ways to just engage with things in a way that make me feel good anyway. Um, But I find it really hard. And I actually had to like delete Instagram for a while because, um, I was like, how are these people creating stuff? <laughs> but then yeah. I'd see someone like go to Costa Rica and I'd be like, oh, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't. Oh, that's why you're still inspired is because you're not really doing yeah. what you're supposed to, quote unquote. Um, right. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I also find Instagram is like the biggest cause of, um, like you said, like you see people who are doing tons of things and you're, it's anxiety inducing. I can't go on Instagram you know everyone does that thing before bed sometimes where they're just like on their phone scrolling mm-hmm. I can't go on Instagram if I'm in bed at nighttime I, ha- I can do TikTok 
but like, I can't do, I can't do Instagram because it just like is, it'll like, I'll see one post that someone and I'll spiral, you know? And I was having like this conversation actually the other day with, um, yesterday actually with one of my friends about, I'm not making anything right now. And like that spiral happening and it like, just like, you know, spinning and spinning and spinning until you're at the worst possible part of it. And it's like the journey to get to the worst possible part is like the worst part of that spiral. Cause it just like yeah. your brain's running. Um, but the I rabbit hole. the rabbit hole totally. <laughs> um, but I had like, a I had someone like, or ther- some, something therapist, I think maybe say, and it was like, um, sometimes it's okay to just be like, I am not making anything right now and that's okay. And just like tag that on to everything. Yeah. Like I am not going to be at my best right now and that's okay. Or like, yeah. I am not, I haven't choreographed something in eight months and that's okay. You know, cause kind of right now our job is to be at home. Our job mm-hmm. isn't our job anymore. You know, our job is like completely yeah. different and we're being told not to do our job. So I think that it's okay it's okay. just putting on that it's okay kind of like tail end of the sentence helps you just be like like anxiety anxiety this person's doing something I'm not and that's okay period and then it's like my brain moves on to something because I like have to take that on myself you know (laughs) I haven't been like yeah (laughs) I haven't spiraled and then been like what's going on with my life and that's okay you know like I like period end of sentence move on to the next thought Yeah. yeah yeah it's well it's I think Oh my God, I have too many thoughts after what you just said. You said so many good things. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, my tangents are kind of going like, bing, 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 bing. Like a thousand um, windows open, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and this is this is my like overthinking, fast thinking side of things. But like, the, you know, like this is amazing for me. Like this is the kind of conversation that I thrive off of. Mm-hmm. You know, just really talking about things and getting down to the nitty gritty and like kind of inspecting them and turning them over and seeing how they look from different perspectives a bit and um I find I mean thank you for having me because this feels great but you know (laughs) hard to do that um during the pandemic for sure um and it's harder to do it too with like new people like I could do this with my best friend over FaceTime Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know you don't have as much access to new people um to engage with either back to that feeling or that sense of novelty mm-hmm. um okay that was a tangent though so what did you say that I was <laughs> oh I was thinking about um creative seasons um, and so having seasons of making and being productive and then having seasons maybe that are more like inspiration um gathering yeah. and then some that are maybe just consuming other people's creations and then some seasons that are just rest mm-hmm. um, and I'm trying to look at things that way a little bit. And this is a bit of a forced season of rest. Yeah. To some degree. Um, but I also imagine for for the both of you, you were both dancers, am I right about mm-hmm. that? Yeah. And um, that I would imagine is a fairly collaborative practice for the most part. Yeah. So that must be hard. Be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's the lack of space that I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm missing personally. Mm-hmm. The lack of like being able to move into a studio or go to a rehearsal or go to a class even. Um, so it's kind of like watching your body (laughs) kind of, it's like in the worst way possible, it's like watching your body decline (laughs) because you have like this technique and that you've been working on for so long. And then like, I've never gone this long with not taking class Mm -hmm. or like not moving or not like, um, 
doing like a work with other people. Um, so that's really hard because I mean, whereas with, I mean, there's also, I'm just speaking from like a dance movement perspective where mm. it's like lots of visual work, you know, you can still, your techniques are still no, happening. Exactly. Like that's, you're, yeah. you know, like the dance with the hand, let's say it, that's still something that you're able to do on the desk. But like when yeah. I'm doing with my body and like my body's really long and my space isn't really big, like right. I don't have an open space to do this in, I get like a little bit like, like I'm hitting my head on everything. Like everything's like, not only am I stuck in this space, but everything is fully shrinking in around me because like my arm can't go up there. And um, yeah, so I'm finding it hard because then I get anxiety about like the stress of like my body declining. And like, when we do go back, like how long is it going to take me to get back? Am I ever going to get back there? Like I, that's where my kind of spiral happens. So I think that it's like really hard it's hard as like someone who's like using their body constantly, like for movement and like for creation. Um, It's a big loss in some ways, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Corinne might have a different opinion on that, but. Um, No, I feel very similar. Like I don't like working out in my, in my house. I don't Mm -hmm. like, because for me, it's not the same. And I'm for some reason, not as, for some reason, I know exactly why I'm like, not as motivated. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like I can't really force myself to do anything. And for me to like take class in my living room, it doesn't appeal to me at all. I would much rather if I'm going to do anything active in a day, like, especially in the winter, it's like, maybe go for a walk if it's not terrible, you know, which is nice and lovely. And I'm glad the winter has been so mild, but I don't feel I don't feel creative in the same space that I live in. And I think it's already what we talked about is like novelty and newness. Mm -hmm. And even when you go to a studio that you've been to a thousand times with people that you've been in rehearsal with for months, there's still like the newness of the day and the newness of how everybody's feeling and their energies around you and the newness of of mind. Yeah. Like walking in, like I'm in rehearsal now and it's, I've put on like a different mode of who I am. Mm-hmm. versus just like I'm the same person every day in my living room you know yeah. I'm more, most likely just going to go bug the cats and send TikToks <laughs> to all my friends you know yeah. um, um, I love what you just said sorry did you want to add and I just like that I think there's also something to be to do with the stillness like the physical stillness mm. just bad for your body in general yeah, <laughs> yeah I need to I am by no means a dancer, but I like a good kitchen dance while I'm cooking. <laughs> and I have to remind myself to do it. Like for a while I was trying to work out and I would just try to do yoga on my yoga mat and it would just evolve into like a dance party, like a solo. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> workouts. Um, okay, so moving back to, um, you were saying about um, different, the people's energies in the room, like kind of combined yeah. and coming together. So I think that actually speaks to um, relationality um and I mentioned it earlier that where I worked he used a uh, relational philosophy of caring mm-hmm. so when I dove into that through my master's and in my math- master's thesis I learned about relational cultural theory which basically looks at all human beings so kind of taking it out of the dementia context but all human beings as being inherently relational mm-hmm. and we are made up of relationships like even your relationship to yourself and your relationship to your body your relationship to dance or to art yeah uh, your relationship to institutions so maybe you hated school growing up um or maybe you love school <laughs> it depends mm-hmm. you know so when you even extend the idea of relationships to like everything um i think it really speaks to like part of why it's so challenging even if you're okay with alone time being home all the time is because you get 
virtually zero uh, relational engagement. And like, it's different than socializing. It's like just being, being with other people yeah. <laughs> and feeding off of their energies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this pandemic has actually forced us to realize how much we need relationships. Oh yeah. Um, and I'm hopeful for a shift. Um, when you think about the struggle you talked about between wanting a nine to five, what is something you would tell your younger self when starting your art journey? Um, oh, there's so many versions of my younger self. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, I think that's the truth big one would be to not romanticize the work from home freelance life Mm -hmm. um I grew up with a stay-at-home mom who then started working but always from home Mm -hmm. and so when I was really little I actually I mean I say really little like maybe before 15 before the age 15 um it's not that little (laughs) um I thought I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and that was like my goal and I was like I can paint art in my studio and it'll just be fun um thank god I grew from that because it's not for me like I think I mean maybe one day but I'd like to also have a career um Mm -hmm. and a practice on at least before or after or on the side um no matter what I think I am I thrive when I'm feeling independent um in some ways but also connected with something larger than me I think I thought freelancing and being an artist would kind of lead me to a stay-at-home mom life when I was younger Mm -hmm. if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um and that it and it's interesting to look back on now because there are actually so many um like entrepreneur mommies out there Mm-hmm. and it's badass it's amazing like and I think being stay-at-home mom is totally great if that's for you um mm-hmm. but for me personally like I it goes back to that feeling of novelty and of like relationality I think where I I just really do well um when I'm out there doing something new every day mm-hmm. um or at least seeing new things on my commute or whatever it is mm-hmm. um, and I think younger Katya would have really benefited from knowing that and like caring more about school <laughs> mm. um at first anyway um I switched high schools halfway through my first high school was not for me mm. um and I was really not a great student and then mm. when I switched high schools I went to an art program and I became like almost too good a student <laughs> yeah. isn't, that, isn't that interesting how that happens how like you're told are you from a small town are you from a like a large okay um I feel like it's just so interesting that you sometimes like in like high school or middle school or whatever program you're in you're just like told that you're a bad student mm-hmm. because you aren't excelling in the way that like our mm-hmm. capitalist ideals of like what knowledge is has is like oh yeah is what your brain is how your brain works so like I remember constantly being told like "Mm, I'm a bad student I'm dumb because I was like not good at math not good at science like I didn't care and like (laughs) I didn't care (laughs) um but then like I went to university and even in like my I was in dance in university but I didn't excel at like the classes that were mandatory classes to get the degree Mm-hmm. I excelled at like the practical element, you know, the practical right. element. And then I found when I did my master's 
I like was a like you said like a really good student like I really enjoyed learning and I really enjoyed the idea of like learning different things and like something because it's so specialized in what you're interested in that you become like you're actually interested in you know whereas kids who are like high school students who are like actually interested in math and science like they're going to excel so young at like what they put into this box that that's like different timelines of excelling yeah (laughs) Yeah. and I I mean like I will say like my mom was like excellent because she is a dance teacher so she was just like she would just pull me out of school to like we do dance stuff so like she would pull me out to do stuff I actually liked um (laughs) and she just didn't really care if I would like I had to like complete it but um it was nice because I didn't go there was no arts high schools where I lived, but it's sad for these like kids who are in small towns and are just being told that they need to be good at math and science and all these things. And when they're just, they're just not, and that's not, and they get really bad depression that you get sad because of it. Like it really Mm -hmm. affects your mental health and how you see yourself as a person moving forward. Like some of these people Mm -hmm. get stuck in this brainwave that they're not very smart. So they can't ever go to university or they can never get a PhD. Um, And that's like really sad to me. I agree. Like, being I truly never ever thought that I would be able to get a master's yeah yeah yeah. um and I mean there's so many people who encourage me to do it like my stepmom is great a great encourager on that front um and then just the people I worked with uh were like yeah you can do a math I I was gonna go back to school to do my ps like a psw certificate because I was like I need a qualification to say I can work with people (laughs) right um and then people were like no, you should, like, you know, PSW isn't actually the work you want to do, like, you should do um, uh, a master's yeah. <laughs> um, in recreation and leisure was what I did my master's in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, when I look back on who I thought I was back then, um, just because, yeah, like, I almost failed my math classes and my science classes in high school, and um, then in my master's, my stats class was the one I did the best in. Oh, like I got like not to do my own horn I got a 98 in stats no nah, man you're on horn <laughs> um but uh, I mean but it was because I was able to do like oh here's a statistical analysis of like something I care about mm-hmm. right um, and they structured the class where I could look at stats around older adults and the supports they get um in the community or not um so it was things like that that made made the b- big difference for me um but also just being like, and you know, it's, I, I talk about this for other people, like for people with dementia is enabling people or um, helping them show what they've got, mm-hmm. giving them a chance to show what they've got. Um, and my program really did that for me. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they took a chance on this art student, former art student, <laughs> um, and let me do a thesis-based master's <laughs> with them. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I'm sad for people who don't ever find that um chance um yeah I think what you said I think you said it earlier on about like you like giving people the chance like allowing people the opportunity to thrive mm-hmm. so like when we were talking about like why there's that symbiotic relationship between like dementia yeah. and like um what was the word you used like um work I forget but like just like allowing people to like the reason that they're there's behavioral problems sometimes oh. is because we've actually like pulled away from them Whereas like we allow, if we allow people the opportunity to not have those behavioral traits, or we allow Mm -hmm. people the opportunity to thrive, they're going to have, be more confident and they're going to actually excel and progress. And it's going to help their personality with like their confidence and how they, you know, 
I feel like everything I've learned about working with people with dementia in in the specific sphere that I have worked with them um the same just rings true for everybody (laughs) all humans um which is a really interesting thing to point out too is that like you know we focus a lot on like interventions that are for people with dementia and it's like why do we silo them so much like why are they kind of like I understand there are unique parts to the dementia experience Mm -hmm. Um, but there's just so much um you know sometimes we don't even talk about people in long-term care homes for example as being part of our community Mm -hmm. we literally say community like let's talk about covid community transmission is separate Mm -hmm. from long-term care home transmission in the way we talk about it it's not separate at all (laughs) they go hand in hand and people in long-term care homes are part of our community um and I think the same goes with people with dementia like it's so segregated Mm -hmm. and that's another really interesting point actually is that giving people with dementia an opportunity to engage with different types of people that novelty piece again Mm -hmm. um, making connections just as I'm talking to you (laughs) um it's good for it's good for everybody Mm -hmm. um you know you see the cute videos online about older adults getting to spend time with children like you know kindergarten aged kids and everyone's having such a great time and it's true for teenagers it's true for like students it's um or I mean like university students mm-hmm. um yeah it's um I think it's really important to think of it as like everybody gets a chance to engage and to reciprocate social engagement um mm-hmm. with everybody <laughs> in the community yeah. Yeah, but this is my like idealist sort of like advocacy side where I'm like, we need to change the way people see people with dementia. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's very important to me. Like the people I've met with dementia are, it's, it's actually really emotional because because of where I worked, um, patient, we were part of um, a larger like healthcare network in hospital. So there's really strict um patient confidentiality and stuff like that so I can't be in touch with anybody and I worked with some of those people for six years like I was closer with some of them than I was my own grandmother yeah (laughs) um and I was just completely cut off from them that's so sad like like that (laughs) yeah and it can't be healthy I mean it can't be healthy I mean it's awful for you but it's also like probably not beneficial for them as well oh my god my heart breaks Uh, like I think of the people who came to us and would tell us that they were lost until they found this place like Mm -hmm. there there are pieces of artwork people have made where they write that like um Mm -hmm. we were called the dots of bit wellness academy it's a mouthful (laughs) but the academy (laughs) Mm -hmm. um uh the academy like people people would tell us how much we meant to them as a space uh, but also as individuals and so and their, and their family members, their loved ones. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember this one story of, um, oh, you know, I can't even really remember who it was anymore. I can't picture their face. But one of my participants came up to me and they said, oh, last week you talked about, it might've actually been Frida Kahlo. <laughs> People always remember that one. Um, um, I, I swear I talk about other artists as well. <laughs> Yeah, only maybe once a year yeah. <laughs> um but they were like you talked about that lady and I was like oh yeah Frida Kahlo and they're like yes yes that one hmm. and I remembered it when I went home and I was able to have a conversation with my husband about it mm-hmm. and 
they were like so happy that they were then also able to remember to tell me that mm-hmm. they enjoyed my session so much that they were able to have a converse like that it instigated a really nice conversation with their partner mm-hmm. um and you know you just hear stories like that and you're like oh my god <sighs> it's such a tragedy that the space closed it was my home away from home mm-hmm. um I actually didn't dive into it too deeply before because I was like I'm gonna cry <laughs> um <laughs> It was, um, it was, I would say where I grew up in a lot of ways, like it's where, what we were talking about earlier, that's where I felt like all of my mm-hmm. strengths were acknowledged. Um, me being an emotional person was a good thing. <laughs> being sensitive was a good thing. Yeah. Me being kind of creative and really able to go with the flow and like question reality was like a good thing. Of course. Um, and I say question reality because my my perspective of dementia is like, you know, our all of our realities kind of overlap, some just more than others. <laughs> right. Um, like I think the idea of an actual shared reality is bogus. Um, <laughs> yes, I agree. Because, yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, you see people with dementia and when they're asking you a question, like, where's my dad? Or like my dad's coming later mm-hmm. like that is a hundred percent real to them mm-hmm. and so who's to, who's to say mm-hmm. um, and you know it's I think with dementia a lot of time we're like try to get them back to quote-unquote reality mm-hmm. um, right which causes a lot of tension of course, um, yeah so I think you know me being able to like meet people where they were um and my like that was like a strength and also something I learned uh through them Um, again also very useful outside of the dementia context (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, yeah yeah that's great I like was have been thinking it's about this idea of reality lately Mm -hmm. because of the isolation and because of the it's it's so weird because right now we're so isolated yet so connected at the same time Uh that reality feels so much different um and it's interesting to watch people in their own realities Mm. and I like think about this in like a few very like obvious examples obviously or um maybe not obviously but um (laughs) like (laughs) Donald Trump obviously like lives in his own fucking reality yeah right like Mm -hmm. QAnon and all of those conspiracy theories that's another like yes reality that is so far gone um and the other, the other example I was thinking of, Rainy, was uh, Victoria from The Bachelor. Oh God! <laughs> it's like so I have not delusional. watched it, oh. <laughs> but but I, I plan I plan on it eventually. <laughs> okay, and then I won't say anything. But you know, she's like That's living funny. in her own world, and mm-hmm. I like think about how what kind of like bridges or we can create to like bridge mm-hmm. the gap between realities. Um, yes. And I always think about like where art has a place in that. And so do you notice that art has a place in like bridging the gap between realities with people with cognitive disabilities or dementia? Yeah, I, I think it does in a very cool way. Like I, one of my favorite things to do would be put up a piece of abstract art uh, for everyone to look at, like, uh, like a Kandinsky or something like really abstract <laughs> and literally be like, what do you guys see? Right. And just... Or, or sometimes, sometimes it wouldn't even be an abstract painting. I would just have like a like a Van Gogh landscape up or something, yeah. and someone would be like, 
look at the dog. Like, <laughs> where? Yeah. <laughs> what is the dog? And then I'd be like moving around the screen with my finger, being like, here, here, here. And then more people in the room would start jumping on, being like, you don't see the dog, Katya? What's wrong with you? And I'd be like, I don't see the dog. And they'd be like directing me across the screen. So, like, yeah, I mean, I think you know, that's a, like a very kind of tangible example um, mm-hmm. that I just think is really interesting and just shows you how much people think differently um I also or or I mean we all know we think differently but like interpreting the world differently I guess um and I you know just seeing how someone interprets um an art project so I say like we're painting landscapes today and um somebody ends up with like this character and they have a whole story for this character. And I'm like, this was not the prompt whatsoever, but I love this. <laughs> Tell me more. Um, and just, just things like that, um, which I think is really, really fun. Um, and in terms of creating a bridge that helps people feel a bit more on the same page, other than just kind of meeting people where they're at or learning where they're at, mm-hmm. um, I just think music. Like, you know, there's so much, there's so much research out there about how much music affects um dementia and like or or, um brings people out of their shells or however you want to phrase it um and it's so so true and like you know whatever wherever your head is at if you put on a song and you start dancing together Mm -hmm. like you're just there together in the moment Mm -hmm. and you're sharing that moment together um I actually, I was way too nervous to dance when I first started there. I would sit next to somebody who was in a wheelchair to like hold their hand and dance. And I'd be like, no, I'm just going to be here. But then when you're one of your best friends, like little older lady comes up to you and is like, come. And and they just want you to dance with them. You say yes. (laughs) You don't say no. Um, and so by the end of it, I was like starting the dance parties. Um, <laughs> but I was genuinely like, I have a really bad sense of rhythm. And I have been told that several times throughout my life. Uh, but <laughs> so many people, um, like rude ex-boyfriends and like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Fuck them. Um, so yeah. funnily, I was also in show choir in high school, in my second high school, which is like so random. But um somewhere along the way I stopped dancing like I was mm-hmm. I was convinced that I had terrible rhythm and that I was gonna embarrass myself and that place literally brought it out for me again and now it's one of my best like quote unquote I don't I don't love this term I don't hate it self-care yeah yeah just dancing and letting go and it makes life more fun I'm sure you guys know that about yeah. dancing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean it, it, I mean it's hard I mean it's interesting like because it's a, a job it's like a job right so yeah. yeah it changes things it is it's so fun it is fun <laughs> to dance but it's also yeah. like uh when you're in like deep contracts for a long time it's mm. like but I mean it's very different because of what we do isn't um like our we're contemporary or so contemporary sometimes there's like a whole research base de- depth to it right um whereas like just dancing with your friends is like very this light and fun you know in the so, moment yeah totally so yeah it is it is fun still like we, it's still able dancing is something I'm still able to find joy from that's great yes. yeah Definitely. god I want to go dancing so bad 
that's one of I don't even go out to clubs or dancing per se before pandemic but now I'm like I just want to go dance with my friends like that's all I want to do yes I know I want to go to drag brunch and then I want to go to a club and then I want to like just I want to go see my band my friends bands play again yeah just that would be the kind of dancing I would do is like the crowd bopping yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) my my partner was in some bands um several years ago and um so obviously like I would go to a lot of shows and so I would know the songs and when my one really good friend Connor um who I've known actually interestingly known since we were since I was born he's my neighbor I got him working (laughs) with me where where um where I was working with the seniors he was doing music with them so we're like our paths are like (laughs) mixing so he he is a great concert buddy because we're both like dancing and singing along to the songs Mm -hmm. and some people tap us on our shoulders like are you guys like super fans? <laughs> and I was like, um, the drummer's my boyfriend. Does that count? I guess. Yeah. I guess I'm a super fan. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent a super fan. Yeah, Embrace that super fan. Just, I can dance to the music and like just let go, and I really miss that. I miss mm-hmm. that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, I think we. Have, uh, Corinne, do you want to ask the last question? I do. Yeah. Is being an artist fucking killing you? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, it's an interesting time to ask me that because I feel like it was, then it wasn't, and now it kind of is again. Um, mm-hmm. So I would actually say at the beginning of the pandemic when I lost both my jobs, all my social, my usual social activity, um, being an artist totally saved my butt. Yeah. Um, so being able to like make make money off of my art as well, but like that eased a ton of my like financial anxiety, but also just having something to do right. <laughs> and having something to focus on um, was what kept me sane for sure. Um, now, now that I don't, now that I'm working full time and I have my new puppy to take care of, and then I also you know have to like feed myself and like those things <laughs> shower <laughs> yeah um, which is like yeah so I find that having my creative drive and like my kind of need for it is yeah. actually really challenging right now because then even when I do sit down to do it that novelty that we were talking about that I'm lacking um I'm just not inspired I'm not creating things that I want to create um mm. And now that I have a full-time job, I just want to make art all day. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of grass is always greener. It's so true. I remember being like, after I'm done my thesis, I like, or what did I say? I was like, oh, I'm just going to like relax for like six months when I'm done my thesis. It's going to be great. And I was like forced into relaxation. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) it's so true. You just think the grass is always greener. And then you're on that grass and you're like, damn, this grass is fake. Like, yeah. or like artificial grass grass feels the exact same as it did on the other side yeah Um, yeah no I had the same experience when I finished my master's too where I was like my master's took a bit longer than it's supposed to so how long um, did it take you four years altogether okay Um, yeah and part of that was just my speed like I chose to work at the same time um part of it was you know supervisor speeds uh and also working with long-term care homes there's always delays because uh, mm-hmm. even before the pandemic they'd have no break and then you can't go yeah um, 
So I finished during the pandemic. Actually, I did my defense virtually. Yeah, me too. Sorry. Oh, thank you. That's yeah, so yeah. cool. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, you too. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, um, but for mine, everyone turned off their cameras. Oh, no. And so it was just me and my PowerPoint on the screen. And um, I learned... <laughs> <laughs> I learned that I blush when I present, but like that's it so here because I don't see myself when I'm presenting normally. Like I present every every week when I'm working, but um yeah, I started getting blotchy and then I blush more because I'm noticing the blotches and then I'm just like <laughs> anyway. Oh no. That's it was fine. so mean. But I was like, <laughs> okay, I hate this so much. That's um, awful. Where did you do it? Uh Waterloo. At Waterloo. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah um yeah but finishing my master's for sure and I was like I'm gonna write journal and like you know write and submit to journals I'm gonna do something with this and then I just like needed to pause but then was also like I really miss thinking critically and deeply about something yeah um and I miss I missed engaging with my supervisor every week mm-hmm. um I really like my supervisor You're like mm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I was, right, really, was mean. <laughs> it's, okay. it's always a challenging relationship with a supervisor, I think. But um, yeah. my supervisor stepped up so much during the pandemic and was like so deeply supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up having, I mean, I would say we established a really nice uh, mentorship, like an actual mentorship type relationship, which yeah. is rare, I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, I actually really miss her, <laughs> which yeah. I actually, when I was in the thick of it, sometimes I was like, like, I wouldn't have thought that, but um, no, she's a fantastic, uh, fantastic lady. Um, so I've actually been <laughs> bringing up ideas to her, like, you should do research on this thing that's happening. Yeah. And I'm like, I can help you. Yeah. <laughs> Let me work with you again. <laughs> totally. Um, I mean, it's so interesting because like, if you think about the qualities of what a supervisor is supposed to do, it's all of the same qualities as like what a mentor does. All mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. yeah but like for some reason there's like a rejection sometimes to that they're like the professor is like so enthralled in their own work or like they like don't I don't know or they're like so deep in it because they've been there for so long that they've had so many students it's mm-hmm. just like there seems to be like a rejection to all of the qualities that like being a mentor is like supposed yeah. to be about um yeah. but yeah, I don't know I thought I mean I nothing against my supervisor she was wonderful like she did was a good like there was worse supervisors out there definitely it's just I a did. hard experience no matter what I think uh-huh yeah it's hard experience <laughs> sometimes like people also just like yeah I mean how you like we're talking about realities how like my reality is of a conversation that I had with, with her versus her reality of a conversation very different Am yeah. I an overly sensitive master students in the deep thick of writing a thesis? 100%. Should you maybe not be so harsh sometimes? 100%. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So well, I think, and I, yeah. I think that's interesting about the reality too, is that my reality, and I would assume like any student's reality is, you have your one supervisor. Your supervisor's reality is <laughs> several students. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. in itself creates a different dynamic. Like you kind of like or almost tunnel vision relying on your supervisor and that they just don't have that same dedication right they, they, they just they just can't um because yeah. they have they just do have multiple students yeah. um, and, and they're, they're they're working on their own shit too you yeah, know exactly part of their work is supposed to be that like the reason they're taking you on is because it's actually supposed to also benefit their research yes but yeah it is very interesting yeah. that that whole relationship I agree 
Yeah. I, I'm glad I, you had a good experience. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you'd asked me in the middle of it, I probably would have been like a bit more frustrated, but that's part of like, she, she pushed me a lot. Yeah. Um, which yeah. at the time I was like, this isn't a PhD. This is a master's. Just let me finish. <laughs> um, and I was just so frustrated, but by the end of it, like I have this project I'm so proud of and skills that have led me to this job I have now as a research analyst with this team. Um, and it's actually like, you know, actually I said I wasn't making art all day, every day with this job, but right now I'm making the training videos. Um, mm. oh yeah, I mentioned earlier the voice, uh, audio recordings, the voiceovers, I'm creating our training videos and I'm animating them, mm. uh, cool. illustrations. So I actually keep finding research opportunities where I end up still doing my art. Wow. That's so great. Which sometimes I don't want to be doing. Sometimes I'm like, just just make me make Excel tables and, <laughs> and interview just people. A task. Sometimes I just want to like listen to music and do a task. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Focus yeah. in. But this is actually fun too. Yeah, so it's good. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Katya. Um, yeah. Where can people find you if they're interested in your work or commission or anything? I would say Instagram is probably the best. Um, I love, hate Instagram, but I'm trying to just find ways to, I just, I like to engage and make community on Instagram. So mm-hmm. if that's your jam, then come find me on Instagram as well. Um, I have a website that's just katyaengel.com that you can look at some stuff on there as well. Um, yeah, Thank I you. think that would summarize it. <laughs> so Thank great. you so much for being here. With so Thank you both to you. for you. engaging with my many tangents. <laughs> <laughs> so fun. Um, thank you so much. If you liked today's episode, please rate us, leave us a review, follow us, subscribe to us, do whatever you do that will make us know that we, that you love us. Um, you can find us anywhere, Facebook, Instagram, our website. If you have any questions, feel free to email us. If you have any suggestions for upcoming guests, feel free to email us. We love to hear from you. Thank you all so much. And we'll see you next week.